You can turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're following along, you'll notice that we skipped a few verses. Originally, the plan was to progress along normally, but unforeseen circumstances and all that. We're skipping ahead to this section, but we're going to come back next week to the previous verses in Philippians. We'll be reading verses 19 through the end of chapter 2. This is the Word of God. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. And it's only through the power of his work and your word that we hope to learn something of eternal worth this morning. Father, teach us. Tell us what you would have us to know about you, about each other, about how to live more faithfully following after our elder brother, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So this is a picture that Ransom, my five-year-old son, made this week. The thing they don't tell you about parenthood is the sheer volume of papers that will get sent back from school. This is one of like 10 or 15 drawings that he's made in the last couple weeks. And, and I mean, I love it, but it's kind of mundane, right? There's so many little details, though, that, that I, I like about this. Right? It says, I like the snow, in case you couldn't read it. And there's six exclamation points after that. And, and that's an accurate representation of how he feels about snow. He was very disappointed that the snow did not stick on the ground this week. Also, there's this gigantic snowflake over on the left. Like, if that snowflake shows up, I want to see it on the National Weather Service. The snowman is brown, which either means that was the only available color, or... It's just an accurate representation of what it's like to make a snowman in coastal Virginia. But the detail I love the most is that he put his full name up at the top. And 
to my memory, this is the first time he's written his full name. And I love that because his middle name is Timothy, which he gets from me. I love, I love this picture. But as I said, it's one of like 10 or 15 that I got this week. It's just kind of, these things come through all the time. It's like, what is even happening? We have a similar thing here in this passage. The, the mundane dialogue of what Paul is saying Timothy and Epaphroditus is, is going to do. It's almost like, Paul, why are, why are we talking about this? Just get on to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we really care about. But if you pay attention to the details here, you get to learn a lot about Paul, this real person, and the real circumstances that he lived in, and the real church that he was interacting with. And, and we get to see the, the historical nature of God's word and these mundane details. And more than that, it gives us real insight into what Paul cares about and what Christ cares about for his church. It interjects with a concern for them and a concern for the gospel. And we can see in this passage that the the joyful service to the gospel is found in the loving faithfulness of God's people. The joyful service to the gospel is found in the loving faithfulness of God's people. And we see that in the example of Christians and Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to see that in the interests of Christ that we see in this passage. But we're also going to see it in the invitation for us to selflessness. The example of Christians, the interests of Christ and the invitation to selflessness. But first, we have the example of Christians. What do we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus that is worthy of copying, of emulating? We see in Paul, and we know from elsewhere in this letter and elsewhere in Scripture, that he was in jail at this time. It was kind of a house arrest situation, but still, he is under arrest. He is in jail, and he, he's not certain as to what's going to happen next. How is, how is the ruling going to come down? And yet still, in the midst of this, his concern is largely, if not almost entirely, for the Philippians and for how they're feeling and for how things are going with them. He's just written about the possibility of his death a few sentences earlier, and he immediately turns to consider their feelings and what they need to know. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to be able to send Timothy to you soon. This is a proper acknowledgement of the source of all hope, of the source of, of Paul's hope, and of the one who is in control. He hopes in the Lord Jesus because he knows that's the only thing worth hoping in. So too, he says in verse 24 that he trusts in the Lord, that shortly he himself will come also. This doesn't mean that, that he is, his, his trust in the Lord is contingent on him being vindicated before the courts, but he trusts nonetheless in the Lord for his vindication, for he knows where he stands before the Lord God. And so we see in Paul this example of someone who is trusting in God, who is demonstrating real, lived-out, practical faith in the one who has saved him, and he will save him again. But we also see this this deep care, this deep, abiding, continuing, persisting love 
for Christians, specific Christians in a specific place in Philippi as he cares about them and he's giving them all these details because he wants so desperately to be with them and to know how things are going with them and for them to feel his love. And because of that, he says he he wants to send Timothy. He wants to send this this disciple of his, this this young man who has been following him as a disciple, who, who he says has proven worth. The word there can mean tested. His worth has been tested and it has been proven. But not just that Paul says this, but he says, you Philippians, you know of Timothy's proven worth. He wants to send Timothy so that, so that he would be able to tell the Philippians, here's how things are going with Paul. Hopefully, as soon as he's vindicated, he's going to send Timothy head. Hey, guys, it's okay. Paul is fine. But he also wants to learn how the Philippians are doing and be able to bring that news back to Paul. He's sending, he's sending this letter ahead of Timothy. And he's like, they got my letter. How did it go? What, what are the things going on that, that flowed from that? But he keeps... Timothy, for the same reason that he would love to send him to Philippi. He says in verse 20 that I have no one like him. In the Greek, you could actually translate this, no one of like soul. There's no soul like Timothy, which kind of echoes the the language when he says cheered, which in the Greek is actually good sold. I would love to be good sold because I want to send this one of no one... This one has no one of like soul. See, Timothy was like a son to Paul. Like a son to a son, excuse me, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Elsewhere, he calls him his true child in the faith. The ministry of Paul is echoed in Timothy. So when he says, when I do send Timothy, you can expect to receive from him the same kind of ministry that you would receive from me. If I would treat you with love and affection and goodness, Timothy will do the same. If I will call you to faithfulness to pursue the living God, Timothy will do the same. This is perhaps the most intense form of discipleship outside of what Jesus did with the twelve. But we see this echoed throughout Scripture with Moses, who grabbed the young man Joshua, put him into a place of prominence, who one day went on to lead the entire nation of Israel. With Elijah, this true prophet, who took Elisha under his wing, who got to see Elijah taken up into heaven and went on to pursue the same prophetic ministry. With the apostle Peter, who took the young man Mark, who wrote a gospel, who, per, who followed him and his ministry over the entire ancient world. There's this pattern of those bringing along others to follow Christ with them. And perhaps the, the primary example of, of why Timothy would be such a good messenger to send is that he says he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's pretty easy to fake concern for welfare, at least for a short time. But he says, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And Paul is confident in this because Timothy knows the Philippians. And the Philippians know Timothy. We know this from Scripture that he has been there several times, that he has visited them. He says that you know of his proven worth. 
Timothy has a relationship with this church. And this church has a relationship with Timothy. They know each other. And so he will be genuinely concerned for their welfare. And so Timothy, we see, is this example of someone who is faithful to Christ, who serves wholeheartedly the gospel, who is loving to Paul, and who is loving to these Philippian Christians. I have a cousin. I have have some extended family in the Midwest. There's a family farm that I have absolutely no stake in, but it's my father's side of the family. And they're getting to that generational point where it's like, okay, who's going to take over the family farm? And it feels like more and more there's this dance of like, all right, what's going to happen here? Um, And there were a couple siblings that were uninterested, but there's this one cousin who was just all in, absolutely wanted to take this on and had new ideas and was going to look at it in different ways and had gone to school to help make that happen. And she took it on, not because she felt like she had to, but she, she earnestly desired to do the same things that her father and his father and his father had done before. That's what we see here with Timothy, who so loves this spiritual father, who so loves the God that he serves and the Savior who has rescued them both, that he earnestly takes on the same ministry, the same affection, the same desires as him, and pursues them fully. But because Paul is not sending that one, he feels necessary to, it feels necessary to him to explain why he's sending Epaphroditus instead. Epaphroditus, whose, whose name means lovely, if you can look closely, you can spot the Greek Aphrodite in there from the, the goddess of love, the Greek goddess of love, that is. He says, Epaphroditus, this one who's called lovely, shows himself to be so. He says that he is a brother. He is a brother to me, just like all Christians. This is kind of the, the lowest common denominator, right? He is a Christian, and so he is my brother. But then he goes on further, and he says, he is my fellow worker, This is a word, a phrase that Paul uses many times for for many people. Even later in this letter, when he's talking about Yodia and Syntyche and Clement, he says, these are my fellow workers. This is the way that he describes Epaphroditus, this one who's, who's working out his salvation, as Paul said earlier, in his ministry to Paul on the on the behest of the Philippian church. Then he goes even further and says, he is a fellow soldier. This is not a phrase that Paul tosses around. This is the few who fight, who risk, who sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Those who face a genuine struggle, those who face genuine sacrifice on behalf of the work of the gospel. And we can see that that's what happened. Epaphroditus, it seems, traveled from Philippi, which would have taken several weeks, all the way to Rome. And, and it appears that on the way, he suffered an illness, so severe an illness that he nearly died. Paul mentions this twice. He nearly gave his own life along the way to do this ministry. He was coming to Paul because prisoners in that day were not cared for by the jailers. You didn't get food, you didn't get bored, you didn't get clothing, you got nothing except the walls to keep you there. And so he's coming to minister to Paul with these things, with food and clothing and medicine, 
to be provided by this Philippian church that so loves Paul. And as he's coming to bring this gift to assist him and, and to just be there with Paul and to be a companion, he suffers this illness. But he persists and he comes and he ministers to Paul. Indeed, Paul refers to him as a minister to my needs. Not just a messenger. He was a messenger, but not just a messenger. He was a minister to my needs. This is an intimate way of describing what he's doing. It's also a word for us. Sometimes we think of ministry as just something that happens up here behind the pulpit or in the pastor's office. But we can all minister to one another as we minister to one another's needs through intimate relationships. And it's interesting the way that that Paul writes this sentence. Paul's Greek is all over the place. But the way he writes this sentence, he puts that description of Epaphroditus first. Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. That guy, I have thought it necessary to send. It's this emphasis that says, I want to commend to you, Epaphroditus, this great man who is all these things. It's a, it's a spot of love. I love Epaphroditus for what he has done for me. I'm really bad at giving and honestly receiving compliments. I always think, well, yeah, they, they, they already know that about themselves. Or they don't want to hear that from me. Paul doesn't do that. <laughs> He makes no space for them to be like, how does he really think about Epaphroditus here? He wants to make sure they know, honor such men. Receive him in the Lord with all joy because of what he has done, because of who he is. Indeed, Epaphroditus, it says, was distressed. Apparently, the news of his sickness had gotten back to Philippi, but not the result. They have no idea. How did he survive the trip? What's going on? And so his, his concern is not a selfish, oh, I just want to get home. I just really don't want to be here, Paul. He's, I want them to know that I'm okay. I don't want them to send worrying for me. I want to, them to, to be relieved. I want to comfort them. So great was his love for the church that had sent him, that he wanted them to receive news that they would be encouraged at the mercy of God. So we see that Epaphroditus is this example of someone who is faithful to work in Christ, seeking even to the point of death to to minister to another Christian. He is loving to Paul, and he is loving to the Philippians. We also see, though, that God did have mercy on him. And we can kind of gloss over that with access to modern medicine. But to have a brush with death, death, to have a serious illness and recover was not nearly as common as it is today. Paul indeed was worried that the sorrow of his suffering, the sorrow of his imprisonment would be would doubled over with more sorrow if Epaphroditus had died. And so he sends him back. Though he could use the help, I mean, he, he needs help from Timothy, he could use the help, but he sends them back that he may be less anxious, could be that he, he might be less sorrowful, knowing that they are comforted and encouraged. He desires their joy. And these verses serve as a kind of letter of recommendation of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who serve with faithfulness to the gospel and love for Paul and love for the Philippians. But what does this tell us? What do we see 
of what Christ cares about in these verses, in these men. What brings Jesus joy? See, Paul contrasts those who seek their own interests with those who seek the interest of Jesus Christ. He's kind of using Timothy and Epaphroditus as, as you want to know what it looks like to seek the interest of Christ and not their own interests? These two. And the people he's talking about who are seeking their own interests, they seem to be connected to Paul's ministry somehow. We're not sure exactly, but we do know that they're, they're deficient when compared to Timothy, who, who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians, who is seeking the interest of Jesus Christ. It could be the same people that he talks about earlier in chapter 1. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But not so with Timothy. And so he holds them up as this, he holds him up as this example of one who is pursuing the interests of Christ. And this language of selfless, selflessness is echoed back at the beginning of chapter two, before he took a break from talking about his missionary endeavors to go into this example of humility from Christ. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, if anything at all has interacted between God and you, basically, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what Christ desires from his people. This is what brings him joy, to see his people treating each other with selflessness, looking to each other's interests. Indeed, both Epaphroditus and Timothy are commended for this, for their work, their dedication to the good news, such that they care for Christ's interests and the interests of others above their own. And Paul is joyful. He is happy about this. He is so enjoying seeing them being faithful to Jesus. And third John the apostle writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Paul, in a sense, is saying, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they are running in the truth as they seek to live it out in every area of their life. Paul is, in a sense, saying that they are working out their salvation into their character. I love playing disc golf. I don't really like playing it by myself though. And since most people don't know how to play it, if I want to play it with others, I typically have to show people how to play it. And it is really exciting to me. I genuinely love doing this when, when I'm playing with someone and they're like, I have no idea which way to even throw when they first show up. But I give them a little tip and they implement it and they just, just absolutely perform better than either of us could hope. I love seeing that happen. Jesus enjoys the same. To see his people walking faithfully in the way that he has shown them. Jesus loves that. Also in these verses, we see that Jesus loves to see 
his people loving and caring for each other. These verses are, are filled with love and filled with care for other Christians. The whole description of Timothy overflows with someone who has, who has known this young man, who has seen him perform, who has seen his affection for Paul, for other Christians. It's just effusive the way that he describes him. It serves, we can see, as a justification for why Paul really wants the Philippians to experience the same love, but also, I need some help too, and I want to experience it as well. Same with Epaphroditus, as he's described with great affection, and he is commended, as he says, to honor such men. Epaphroditus was distressed, it says, This word is only used elsewhere in the New Testament when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. His mental torment at at thinking the Philippians were so worried about him was so great because he cared so much for them. His deep affection for the Philippians is evident. Likewise, Paul's love for the Philippians is evident. He says in verse 30 that that, that Epaphroditus' work was uh, fulfilling what was lacking in your service to me. And that can come across as really harsh. It's like, geez, Paul, tell us how you really feel. Like, we didn't do the job, but he doesn't, he doesn't mean you guys didn't meet the task. He's saying, I want so desperately to be with you, but I can't. But Epaphroditus comes. And he gives me just a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be with you. I, I was feeling the absence of you all in my life, but Epaphroditus is filling that up a little bit. This is what Jesus was describing in John 15, that we would love one another because we have abided in him. Y'all know that Jeff is a Clemson fan. That's, that's just a given, right? Jeff is not the kind of Clemson fan that I'm used to, which is even worse, if you can imagine such a thing. I knew this person in in South Carolina who, I mean, I cannot remember a time when she did not have something with orange on her person. (laughs) I mean, social media, car, house, everything is orange. Um, Stop talking to people because they said they rooted for the Gamecocks. Just every single area of her life was colored by her affection for Clemson. That's the kind of love that Paul is describing here. This deep affection for a people that just affects everything, every area of life. He can't, can't even hardly hold it in. I just have to mention that I love you guys so much. I love Epaphroditus. I love Timothy. It is overwhelming. We also see in these verses that beyond what brings Christ joy is faithfulness. And beyond what brings Christ joy is the love of his people for each other. He also loves to provide for his people in mercy. Paul says that God showed mercy by sparing Epaphroditus. God's mercy brings good to bad situations. Epaphroditus was ill, but he was saved. Paul is imprisoned, but he does not lose Epaphroditus as well. God delights to show mercy to his people. So we've seen the example of these Christians, and we see the interests 
of Christ. But what does this mean for us? What is the invitation to selflessness here? And selflessness is the undercurrent of all that these verses have to say. That faithfulness in the gospel and love for fellow saints, is, it, it comes from a selflessness, a thinking less of our interests and more of the interests of others. And, and a culture that is built on self-prioritization and in a culture that is openly hostile in many ways to Christianity. How powerful a witness is selflessness. How powerful a statement to the, the transcendent truth of Jesus and his sacrifice is humility. So when it comes to evangelism, I've, I've listened to so many talks, I've read so many books, I've, I've seen so many articles that say in the next age, these years to come, as culture is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity, what evangelism is going to look like is going to be good hospitality and good listening. Opening spaces in our lives where we say, hey, come, to, come here, I want you here with me. And just listening to people, really listening, not listening to so that, oh, I've got a good story that'll follow that up. Or uh, I'm, I'm just waiting, waiting for them to say it so that I can tell them why they're wrong. But to just genuinely listen and to empathize with what they are thinking, what they're feeling, with what they care about. To take time, money, and energy and carve out spaces for the good of others. Sometimes we do the opposite. Sometimes we, we are like those that Paul described here, that they're, they're not concerned for the interest of Christ, but are concerned for our own interests. And sometimes we know this, and so we, we kind of take our interests and try to just push them up into Jesus' interests, be like, oh, Jesus cares about that too. Whether it's musical styles, whether it's which organizations or, or missions that we should pursue, whether it's, it's personally what, what ministry I need to do, this is what Jesus really cares about. Not saying that we're not different, that we don't have good or bad ideas, but sometimes we take what we love and try to say, well, that's what Jesus cares about. That's what his interests are. The call to selflessness is a call to love, though, especially to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we, like Paul, feel really hurt with the acute absence of Christian brothers and sisters? I went away for vacation, and I, I didn't get to worship here at Calvary, and I can honestly say I missed it. I felt it. Do we feel it when our fellow Christians are not with us? And if not, why not? Is it because we don't really know the people we're sitting next to? We don't really care about them or what they care about or their lives. The invite here is into a deep and loving relationship with those who are also united to Christ. And through a deeper and more loving relationship with them, coming to a deeper and more loving relationship with Christ. I think we could do well to learn from the example of Paul and the, the overflowing generosity of praise that he has 
for Timothy and for Epaphroditus. I've heard it said that we should eulogize people while they're still here. Before, we don't have a chance to tell them how much we love them, how wonderful they are, the good things that we see God doing in their lives, that we should eulogize them while still here. And it might be a little awkward, but it will be good. We can be like Paul, and we can come and compassionately and generously, in the midst of our own struggles and difficulties, walk with others where we have been before. I'm telling you right now, there are young mothers, there are young married couples that would desperately love someone to talk to. Not someone to come in and say, well, here's what you need to do, but someone to say, I know what you're going through. It is a hard time. Can I sit here with you and listen to you and pray with you? We can be like Timothy. We can come and and be willing to be led by someone who has gone where we are going before. Maybe that means getting involved in the discipleship program. Maybe that means grabbing someone to say, hey, can we get lunch and just tell me about what it's like to have been a Christian for 30 years? Maybe we can be like Epaphroditus and, and come to so pursue the good of others that, that it may cost us something. Comfort, time, money, whatever it is that we value, it might cost us something to so pursue the good of others. I've seen too much in the last few years, people caring for others the end of life. And it's, it's, it is not an easy thing. It is difficult. But it is so beautiful to see someone come into that pain and that suffering and to care deeply for others. See, this joyful, selfless, loving service in the gospel becomes evident, becomes powerful, becomes possible because of the gospel, because of the good news of the only true selfless one, Jesus. The one who himself, the reigning king of creation, took the ultimate sacrifice, became the ultimate example of selflessness, and was born in the form of a servant who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many in the ultimate sacrifice. And the invitation here is to follow after this example of selflessness and to find a deeper joy by pursuing that selflessness and love for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we consider the selfless example of Jesus, when we consider the power that you have given us to follow him in your name, we can only be humbled. And so we come to you as we've seen the example of these three Christians who have gone before and the faithfulness that they demonstrated and the love that they have demonstrated for your people and ask that you help us follow after them as they are following after Christ. Help us, Father. We're caught up in our own interests. We're blind to the needs of others. We need your assistance just to see, but also 
to follow. Help us, Father. Help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.